Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. The Self-Love Club, where boss women share their stories to empower others. Welcome to the Self-Love Club podcast. I'm your host, Belle Crawford. Hello, welcome to a new episode. Thank you so much for joining me. Now, the Self-Love Club relies on your support, and thank you so much for the support you do give us. You can do that by subscribing on whatever podcast app you like listening on. And if you're enjoying listening to the Self-Love Club, feel free to leave us a glowing review. You can find us, follow Self-Love Club Podcast on Instagram. You'll also find me at Belle Crawford on Instagram. And don't forget to tell your friends and family about it. Tag us in your stories when you're listening. Right, let's get into this week's episode. Michelle Battersby is a leader in her field. Currently the Chief Marketing Officer of Keep It Cleaner, Michelle is the powerhouse who set up Bumble in Australia, New Zealand and beyond in the Asia-Pacific region. In this episode, we talk about what shaped Michelle and how a strong sporting background has been a driving factor in her career, the pressure we put on ourselves if you're really hard on yourself, this episode is for you, managing anxiety and how a cult brand is created and developed. We're so lucky to have Michelle on the Self Love Club podcast. Michelle, welcome to the Self Love Club podcast. Thank you so much for your time today. You're a very busy lady, so I do really appreciate it. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Yay. Now tell us a bit about yourself and what you do. There's a lot. <laughs> we can I'm go like, through where it do all. I even begin? We've got we've got plenty of time. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Where do I start? Um, so I am the Chief Marketing Officer at Keep It Cleaner, but I feel what some people may know me for, I guess, or what most people may know me for is um, I was the first person hired in Australia to launch Bumble. So I worked at Bumble for around three years, scaling up the business, and I ended up launching it into a few other markets around the APAC region. Um, and as my time came to an end there, I was looking for my next move and I was approached by Laura Henshaw and Steph Claire Smith, the co-founders of Keep It Cleaner. So I made the move around six months ago and now I'm yeah doing all things health and fitness, working at Kick. Yeah, we'll talk all through that soon, but take us back. Where did you grow up and did you know growing up what you wanted to do? No, so I was never the person who had you know, from that young age where you just know what you want to be so wholeheartedly, that was never me. Uh, I definitely found myself in a position when I was around 25 where I felt a little lost in what I was doing. So I grew up in a pretty normal family. I'd always loved sports and being active, but academics were not top of my agenda. So I fumbled my way through university, I would say, and did a very broad arts degree. And then my dad encouraged me to do a master's in human resource management and industrial relations to kind of specify, you know, find myself a lane that I could maybe go into. 
So I ended up getting an internship at Citibank and worked in corporate finance for around four years as an HR generalist. And that was kind of what led me to, I suppose, this roadblock in my own life when I'd studied for something and then I'd found myself into these big organisations and felt like that's what I was meant to do with Mm. my life. But I wasn't really finding much passion and I would find myself looking around wondering why everyone cared so much more than I did, to be honest. And I didn't like that feeling within myself. And I thought, you know, there must be something else out there that fulfills me in that way. You know, there's got to be something out there for me that I'm better at than this um, or that I enjoy more than this. And it was around that time when I was 25 that I started having those thoughts, I just began to explore other options and they were very, very basic options to begin with. Mm. And funnily enough, I actually haven't spoken about this option since being at Keep It Clean Up, but funnily enough, one of those options was a fitness program. And I even looked into doing a personal training course and becoming a personal trainer because I'd always loved sport, but I I didn't end up doing that. Um, But I just... (laughs) I just started speaking to people really and telling people that I wasn't quite sure what I was doing and I was going to start to look for other options. And it ended up that one of those people that I'd spoken to remembered that conversation and she came back to me a few months later and told me that she knew a woman who had started a dating app and that that person was looking to launch that app in Australia and that she thought I'd be pretty good at it and was I still, you know, looking to make a switch. So that's what led me to Bumble. Yeah, that then just changed a lot of things in my life. Yeah, talk us through that moment. It was really good that you thought and you knew just to talk to people. I think a lot of people probably wouldn't know who to speak to when they're not sure. I mean, it's quite, you're still quite young and you're still trying to work things out and you were doing really well in, in your job as well. Like you were quite young managing a lot of people, right, in your HR departments. Yeah, so things with, everything with HR had also moved quite quickly for me. I got an internship and then I ended up becoming a junior HR generalist quite quickly. I thought I would be an HR advisor or an HR coordinator for quite a while longer, but a woman really did take a chance on me actually and kind of gave me this job that I probably wasn't quite ready for. And then I ended up getting promoted again uh, to an HR generalist and I was looking after four departments, I think, at Citibank. Oh, wow. Uh, so that also... How many people is that? Yeah, that, I was trying to remember the other day, I think it was around 350. Whoa. So, yeah, so it was, there was a lot to do and I, I did love it for a while, but then I just found myself looking around, realising that I just wasn't going to be able to do that for the rest of my life. Mm. But having those conversations really, really, you know, if I hadn't have been so open and so honest and just begun exploring then I never, ever would have been brought the Bumble opportunity. And I ended up doing the same thing again at the end of Bumble. You know, once I started thinking I probably have done all I can here, I began to have conversations with other people and that's what then led me to kick. Mm. We'll talk through your time at Bumble soon, but how did you know who to speak to? How did you have connections? Like, Who did you know to reach out to when you were feeling a bit unsure about what you were doing? It was mainly people that were doing things that 
I thought looked interesting. Um, it wasn't necessarily that I'd always had an interest in their industry or in their specific role. It was just that what I was seeing from the outside, you know, looked like something that would be a lot of fun. I think that's what was missing for me in HR, you know, working in HR at a bank. I, I think it's a great profession and I'm glad I've done it because I feel like I've been able to take more risks because in the back of my mind, I've got this profession that I could always fall back to if I ever needed. But I think, yeah, it's just a, it, for me, it was just about looking for that fun and um, looking for something that would fuel me with excitement and that, yeah, I'd be able to do for a, for a longer period of time and still get enjoyment out of it. So it honestly just started with friends and it was a girl that I went to high school with who was working for Reward Style and that is how um, she had met the founder of Bumble. So Reward mm. Style were doing all these amazing events and really cool things. So that's why I started chatting to her and, yeah, it just ended up working somehow. Yeah. And that's the thing, like by having those conversations, I think that's a good message because it does lead you to something else, even if you don't know what it is yet, which is what happened to you. So talk us through those conversations and how you connected with Whitney, who is an incredible woman. I think I was fortunate at the time because I there was so much naivety on my side around it all. Tinder was a thing, you know, I'd heard of Tinder, but I'd always been in a relationship. So initially when the opportunity came to me, I wasn't really sure that I was interested because I didn't see myself as the target market. I'd never used a dating app before and I'd never heard of Bumble. So this friend had sent me a few articles on Whitney and advised me to read up on her. And I did, and I thought it sounded interesting, but I still wasn't entirely sure. But Whitney then got in, t in contact with me and was really persistent. She added me on Facebook and sent me a few emails. And I just happened to be sitting at work and a uh, spare meeting room was open across from me when one of her emails came through. So I just thought, well, you know, I may as well just get this call over with. To be honest, that was my mentality. Like, I'll just get it over with. And I sat in this room and I can still remember what I was looking at and how the conversation went down because I was just in awe and it was just hitting me in all the right ways you know everything that she was trying to achieve with Bumble it was all about women making the first move and equality and about a really kind organizational culture and the plans that she had for the business I just really believed in it so after that conversation I called my dad straight away and told him you know what I'd been offered and he told me I should do it and that I had nothing to lose and I should just give it a go. So I'd left the conversation with her saying I would think about it. And then about an hour or two later, I emailed her back saying, you know, I've actually had enough time to think about it and I really want to do this because I started to get scared she would speak to other people that would be far more qualified than I was to do what she was asking me to do and that it wouldn't be an option for me anymore. So I literally locked it in that day and then had to get to work very quickly. So you quit your job on the spot. <laughs> That's pretty brave. Good on you. Yeah, yeah. I obviously had a notice period and that was enough time for me to become really scared. Yeah. <laughs> so whilst I started working out the notice period and dealing with everything in the back, it became very complex because Bumble wasn't a thing in Australia yet. There'd been a little bit of organic growth, but there was no team, there was no entity. So 
it ended up becoming apparent that I needed to start my own company to launch Bumble. So I became more of a consultant and I created my own business and that's how Bumble got off the ground here. And that was quite stressful at first, but I obviously did have a lot of support from the US but it was really about me proving that Bumble was going to be successful in the Australian market and that I could scale it up before an entity was created. Mm, you did have a big job. I mean, because like you say, Bumble didn't exist in Australia Pacific. It was, you know, so you essentially had to start it. Yeah, I, I don't know if people understand, but that's that's huge. Basically like starting a brand in a new place that it doesn't actually exist yet. And you hadn't done this. You'd obviously had a very strong background in corporate and you'd learned a lot of skills there and you, you had the knack for it. But how did you do it? What did you st- set up a business, but what did it look like? How did you do what you had to do? I feel like it was all so simple and really a lot of it does just come down to common sense and really following your intuition. And I think that your intuition and your gut is so much easier to follow when you are the target demographic. So for me, I really thought about it as I am probably the kind of person Bumble is trying to get on their app. I'm the person who's never used a dating app before. So I need to make this appeal to people like me because then I will be able to appeal more to the masses and I'll be able to position this brand in a way that's really different to how dating apps were perceived in Australia at the time. Some of Bumble's competitors didn't have great reputations and they were known for being used for certain things. And Bumble's goal was really to differentiate themselves from that, you know, much more than a dating app. It's a social networking platform. So initially it was just me for about three months and I lay a lot of, you know, the groundwork in setting the business up and working out what the direction was going to be. And I really learned a lot from the people over in the US. So I was fortunate in that I started at a time when I was about maybe the seventh employee globally. So I had access to all of the people who'd set it up in the US. And that was really, really critical in my own success because I could just absorb all the information that they had and take their learnings and then try to apply it in a localized way in Australia. So that's exactly what I did. The first thing uh, that I went out and executed was a launch party. And I'd never planned a big party before. Uh, I'd never worked with a PR team. I had to get a PR team quickly. And that was an experience. I just would love to see video footage of me re-entering those meetings now, because I would have loved to watch myself just faking what I knew. But as soon as we did that first launch party in Australia, Everything just really kicked off because the way I approached it wasn't by going out to influencers. I actually didn't pay anyone to attend that event. I targeted key groups that I knew were big fish, little pond, the kind of people that wouldn't really be known to the masses, but they have influence within the social circles that they are in. And that was the first thing I did to try and make Bumble appear as a normal brand, not just a dating app, to try Mm. and position it in a different way. You know, invite people who are in relationships, invite people who just like to go out and have a good time and make it seem like a brand that you just want to be associated with. And then we'll get on to getting people to use it. And that was the approach that really helped us kick things off um, first off. 
Yeah, and and like you say, it does now have the it's it's a cool brand. Like it's a brand that you would want to be part of. It doesn't seem like some of the other apps that maybe you're like too embarrassed to tell people that you use, but it, you know that you did do that. So well done on that, and you did do a lot of events. So was that a big way in sort of launching it out to? I guess, those people that would come to the events audiences? Is that sort of a tactic as well? Exactly. Just the initial awareness, you know, events, activations, partnerships. I think that when you have a brand that is relatively unknown brand, partnerships are also critical. So you want to partner with brands that are working with the kinds of people that you want to appeal to or the kinds of brands that have a similar target audience as you do so you can feed off one another. Do you like building things up and then what do you you like doing? Yeah, I definitely do. Whilst I was at Bumble, I was working out when I was there, you know, wow, I loved doing that. I loved making this thing that was this big look this big, you know? So I was already having conversations internally around what I was going to do next and that I needed to be challenged more because I felt like I had done it. And when I say that, I don't mean that there's not more growth that can be had. It's just, I was hired to launch the brand and I had felt like I'd achieved that. And so now I was looking for the next thing to do because I loved doing that so much. So I'd then been promoted into an APAC position where I went on to launch Bumble in the Philippines, Bali, New Zealand, uh, a soft launch in Hong Kong, and I was working on Singapore. But as I ticked off each one, it still felt the same to me. I loved the travel and I loved the initial foundational stuff. But then once I'd done it, I kind of lost the satisfaction a little bit. And I was also just naturally so much more invested in Australia because it's where I'm from and it's what I'd felt like I'd poured my heart and soul into. So I could really throw myself into these markets for a while. But then I wanted to scurry back to Australia. It's hard to sort of look after all these different places at once to the same level you'd probably like to do in Australia. And that was a lesson for me in itself because I recall thinking after I'd got that promotion to the APAC role, I don't feel as satisfied as I thought I would feel. And it was this moment where I reflected and just thought, oh, you know, that bigger title doesn't actually mean as much to me as I thought it would. I think I learned that role satisfaction and what I'm doing day to day is the thing that really fuels me as opposed to just doing more and more and more and getting promoted and promoted again. So I just felt like I couldn't learn more in the role that I was in there. So that's why I was so attracted to Keep It Cleaner because I felt as though I could enter a business at a time where they'd done the harder things I had to do when I first started at Bumble and they'd already got people invested in it and people believing in the brand and they'd proved that it was definitely a viable option. And now is time to really scale it up and I can scale it up in Australia and then potentially set my sights on markets offshore and the markets offshore would be ones that are outside APAC because with Bumble there were such big teams already in the US and the UK those weren't going to be markets where I'd be able to lead on strategy 
So it was just a really good option for me in terms of building on the skill set that I'd acquired at Bumble. Yeah, and I think you've learned from your experience as well when you were in those corporate environments, which you did really well in, but you got to a point where you weren't really happy anymore. You know not to stay stagnant. If Not saying that's what was happening. You've learned to when things don't feel right anymore, you go. Because I think a lot of people don't really go with that. And that's actually quite an important message. Yes, I have a very overactive mind. (laughs) So as soon as I do begin to feel comfort, I tend to look to throw myself out of it because I think I perform better when I'm kept on my toes a little bit and I am responding to things both reactively and proactively and I know that I'm challenging myself. I need to be very busy. I I always cared so much about Bumble and so when Keep It Cleaner came along, I just felt like it's so hard to find these companies that are women-focused, female founders, have a positive mission, are something that everyone can relate to, you know, everyone can relate to human connection in Bumble and everyone can relate to having a healthy mind and body, which is keep it cleaner. So I just know that these brands are hard to come by. So I'd have to be a bit of a fool to not try and do it again or get involved in one that could be as big for a second time. Yeah, that's so true. And do you think uh, a lot of the way you operate, do you think that's a lot because of your sporting background? I know that you are really good at your sport. Do you think that sort of helped set you up for some of these situations? I get nervous talking about sport now because every time I listen back to one of these interviews, I just sound like such a competitive freak. (laughs) No, you don't. I I do think sport has played a huge role in it and I don't think I have it fully worked out yet in terms of how influential that role's actually been and why it has made me the person that I am today. I do think it has a lot to do with my upbringing and that I really, it does sound like a bad thing to admit, but I like being really good at something. And that is what sport was to me when I was growing up. And I liked the feeling of winning, but I also loved being in a team. I was never doing the sports where I was an individual player. I was always doing the team sports and I loved the feeling of the wins and the losses and the ups and the downs as a team. It was rowing that I did and I was rowing at university and I did end up quitting a few years in and I do think that was a little bit of a derailing moment for me because I didn't have something that was consuming my time and my mind so much Mm. and doing sport at any level really teaches you how to time management and be disciplined and gives you a lot of things to focus on at once. So it wasn't until I started at Bumble that that feeling came again for me. There was so much going on and I I really had to work out how I was going to juggle it all, but I just love that feeling. Mm -hmm. And it did take a while for me to get that feeling again once I started at Keep It Cleaner because you have to do so much learning when you join any organization and you're working out how everyone operates and just the the basics of the business. I love that rush and adrenaline Mm. and like the pace of it all. Yeah, I can understand that. That's not a strange thing to want. I think a lot of us can relate with that. And and yeah, those feelings of doing really well at something. Yeah, it can be a tough one though, because sometimes I feel like we do place our worth a little bit on it. And if we're not doing really well at things, then you might feel... 
don't know if you can relate to that, but you might feel at times like a bit of a failure or something, or maybe you've felt that way at times. No, definitely. I think one of the things I learned when I gave up rowing was that I did have a massive fear of failure and that's what played into me stopping competing at the level that I was at because I actually couldn't deal with not being the best at it. And that was something that I had to work through. But I do think a lot of people would be able to relate to that, especially in competitive sports. So for me, it's been trying to channel that energy into the right things and, you know, knowing when to be more forgiving to yourself. And now I choose to look at it more as I do have high expectations for myself, which I think is a good thing because it keeps me focused, but I try not to project those onto others. (laughs) That's the biggest thing that I have had to learn. And also it's really hard when you're so focused on managing your own work and your own expectations, and then you lead a team. But I think that's almost a great way to become better at it because you have to learn to, it's all about prioritizing others and empowering others and delegating and inspiring and those sorts of things. So that has actually helped me a lot in managing my own pressures, I suppose. Mm. Yeah. And I know that you've spoken about it before and it's okay if you don't want to speak about it, but I know you've been quite open about having anxiety and sort of experiencing quite bad bouts of it at different times. Talk us through that if you want to, you don't have to. Yeah, no, that's fine. It's not until I started doing interviews and speaking about it that I realized how many people also dealt with these kinds of things, because for me, anxiety was something that I had as a very young child. My hair fell out when I was six from anxiety. I had alopecia. There was nothing really that happened in my life to trigger that. It was these pressures that I seemed to come up with for myself. And they did tend to be about doing things really well. Um, So my hair grows white on certain patches of my head still because the that it just never changed back to brown. Mm. Um, So because I'd had anxiety from such a young age, I did learn certain coping mechanisms for it back then. And I was always fine going through high school. I never put pressure on myself in regards to schoolwork because I had sport and that's where I placed Mm. my worth, you know what I mean? So I could kind of balance things out a little bit. But there's definitely been times in my career where it's more high pressure moments where I can definitely feel the anxiety creeping in again. But I am very good at recognizing it within myself. And I do tend to automatically just take a step back or prioritize my physical health. For me, getting outdoors, if it, even if it's just for a walk and to listen to a podcast, those sorts of things really, really help me manage it. But, you know, like the heart pounding, throat mm. clenching, head, headaches, those sorts of things. How do you get through working? I, I know from having anxiety myself and a lot of people will relate that, you know, people will think, well, how do you manage high pressure situations? I think sometimes anxiety can help you handle those situations. Would you agree? I definitely agree. And for me, with my anxiety as a child, you know, it was really my mum, both my parents, but my mum's voice a lot comes into my mind in those moments because she would have been the one calming me down when I was younger. And those are the things I think about when it starts to creep in. You know, even I was just on a panel earlier today and I started getting anxious, but then it's like, well, is it really 
nerves and then my mum's voice comes into my head and it always is just, you know, if you're feeling, if you're starting to get butterflies, you're feeling sick, you're feeling like you're going to throw up, this is just your body preparing you for something that it knows is big and that's good because it means, you know, you're prepared. So I think it's just about how you rephrase those moments in your own mind and also for me, I just can tend to get worked up on things that really aren't that big a deal. So I actually have (laughs) this post-it note that says, you're not going to care about this in 15 minutes because I really won't. I'm quite good at letting go of a lot of things. It's just about reminding myself of that in certain moments because I think everyone has a tendency to make things seem far bigger than they are or that they matter far more than they really do. So it's just about putting things into perspective. Mm, Yeah, you're so right. And I think that you obviously are someone that's really hard on yourself. And do you think that's when your anxiety comes into play a bit, if you've got these expectations on yourself? Definitely. It's always been, for me, my own pressures. No one has ever pressured me to do something or to achieve something at a certain level. It's always been myself. But I've never felt like it's something I need to change because I just, I I think it's worked for me. You know, it's more about managing those expectations and giving yourself a break when something does slip up. Mm, yeah. So how do you manage and not only with your anxiety, but how do you manage and how do you look after yourself? What are some of your go-to self-care practices? This is a weird one actually, because I never really cared about my skin, to be honest. I always just thought I was too busy to take time to look after my skin. But then when we went into lockdown, I started getting these horrific breakouts. So I started getting really in to honestly about a seven or eight step nighttime skin routine. Isn't it the best? And then it's so I, good. I love skincare. Oh, it's honestly the best. And as I started getting more and more into it, I now say to myself, um, you're washing off the day. And it's become this nightly ritual and I use it as a moment to recenter myself and just block out and let go of all the things that happened that day and just get back into myself and my home body. You know what I mean? Mm. So that's been one that I've loved because sometimes I might not prioritise physical activity as much as I should, but I feel as though that is something that I've always got time for and it also makes your skin look better so it's just a bonus (laughs) yeah you're so right skincare just makes you feel good when you're doing it. I think it's like giving yourself that love and attention and and yeah the nice smell of all the serums and I think a lot of us girls are just obsessed with skincare more than we are makeup these days it's very clever marketing so they've got us (laughs) exactly exactly it is a moment where I always feel as though I'm being really kind to myself yeah you like to keep busy but if do you think you've learned aspects of slowing down in your own way at all like to take time for yourself definitely listening to podcasts and going for walks so every every morning I go for a one hour walk with my dog without fail And that's obviously just time for me. And I love starting my day like that. And that's pretty chilled. And then I'll get into the day. (laughs) Now, also, what is some advice that you would give to your younger self? Oh, so I used to put a lot of pressure on myself. Typical. There we go. There's me around what I should achieve by a certain age. But I think that it's something that a lot of women do. And I think it's something that society has pushed on many of us, you know, have a 
boyfriend, get engaged, own a house, have kids at certain ages. And I think also the millennial generation have grown up with parents that probably achieved those kinds of life moments at an earlier stage than we're all going to because things have changed so much and opportunity has changed so much for women, which is amazing. I wish that as a 16 to 25-year-old, I had the perspective that I have now around those kinds of things because I think I would have lived life more freely and not cared so much about certain things. Um, So I don't put any pressure on myself right now to be engaged or to get married or to have kids. It's not really something that's at the forefront of my mind, but I think it's hard sometimes to feel that way because when you're a woman going through your 20s, so many of the people around you are at different stages of their lives and you can often feel so influenced by what's going on around you. And I've got two younger sisters that have gone through breakup ups and downs and I just always try to fill them with that information. Like you don't need to settle for X, Y and Z and you don't need to rush into X, Y and Z and you have so much time you just don't realize it right now. But trust me, that's the stuff that I wish I had been more aware of. Because I know that you know that now and you like to share that with others and I think that's really great. But did you have those moments like we all do where you're like, oh, I'm this age and I'm not doing this or, you know, I'm not married or I don't have, you know, I think we do have those pressures. And I think as women, I know times have changed a lot, but they can be placed on us a lot more than men as well. It's sort of like, oh, why is she still single or why doesn't she have kids yet? You know, like sort of these unfair standards, I feel. Totally. And I think it's so hard because there obviously are different challenges for women than there are for men. I I definitely had those moments when I was younger that I felt pressure to maybe push relationships faster than they really needed to go. Uh, And I also had fear around being alone as well, which I I think is something that you just learn is so okay Mm. as you get older. I just don't think that we need to be putting pressure on ourselves when it comes to age. At 25, I changed a lot of things around my life. And one of those things was I literally just took the age I was off me. Like I just don't really see it anymore. So it doesn't hold me back and it doesn't push me into certain things. I wanted to touch on something else you talked about too, as being an overthinker. I think a lot of us can relate to that. Like, how does that work for you? Will you, and I'm sure as you've gotten older, you've learned to handle it better because I can relate. What is that? What is that like for you? Yeah, I think it is something that you can improve on as you get older because you do genuinely just stop caring about so many things that would have got to you in in the past. And it's like that posted, I was saying, you know, you're not going to care about this in 15 minutes. And one of my coping mechanisms for hard times has actually been to just stop and take a second and think about how much of your time and mental space do you want to take up thinking about this? You know, how much time is it really worth? And that could be as simple as stuffing something up at work or losing your wallet, or it could be, you know, a breakup or 
losing your job or not getting the job that you wanted and things like that. And I think it is all about just assessing how much those things really matter before you let yourself go down this rabbit hole and just blow things way out of proportion. Mm, You're so right. I think sometimes even small things that you look back on, like you say, even in 15 minutes, you know, another couple of months or weeks or whatever, and you're like, why did I care about that? But at the time it can seem really big and you sort of, you do, you do overthink things a bit too much sometimes, hey? Yeah. Mm. Not worrying is something that I've been, I always preach it to others, but I also preach it to myself just because even coming out the other end of my time at Bumble, uh, there were so many moments I should have appreciated and cherished more, but I was so focused on every element being amazing that I didn't save the moment as much as I should have. And that's something that I've really tried to carry with me and to keep it cleaner because I never want to look back and think that was actually really enjoyable. You know, I should have taken it in more, mm. but I think when you do have so much to do and pressure from yourself and pressure from a business perspective, it's really hard to just take a look around and really let it all sink in and acknowledge to yourself that, you know, you're actually doing something amazing here and, you know, give yourself a pat on the back type moment. Mm. What is some advice you would like to share with women? Listen, you've given us so much advice already, but what is something you would like to share? I hate to repeat it, but genuinely this not worrying and not, yeah, I just think don't hold yourself to expectations and standards based on the stage you're in at your life. You know what I mean? Because I think that that can lead to you missing out on opportunities and settling for less than you deserve. And it's something that I always say, yeah, to my younger sisters. So it's something that I really, really believe in. And also just don't be afraid to take risks. I love seeing women out there taking risks, which is why I love how much celebration there is at the moment for women in business, because we need to get all of their stories out there so everyone else can feel more confident to do it as well but just yeah back yourself and don't hold yourself back yeah that's such good advice I think um something I've learned from you as well is that you know when these opportunities come up don't always think about it so much maybe what do you think about that do you think sometimes opportunities come up and you don't have to take them but do you think in your view in your experience do you think they're coming up for a reason they're like there's something really cool there for you and you should go with it it's a hard one because I did have other opportunities come to me whilst I was at Bumble. You know, it wasn't just that keep it clean. I was the first one and I took it. So there had been things that I did knock back. So I think it's about knowing what's important to you. For me, it was brands with purpose. So that's why keep it cleaner was an easy choice for me. I think my biggest advice is if your only reason for not doing something is because it scares you, that's not a good enough reason to not do it. Fear is something that you can chip away at and it's something that you can also prove wrong and shut down very easily. So it's just not a good enough reason for not doing something. So you've got to find a better reason other than fear. And what is some advice you would like to share to women in business? I know that is something you're very passionate about. If they're wanting to pave out careers like you have, what would you like to share with them? My gut is definitely what led the way for me. And I think when you don't have the experience or maybe even the qualifications for the, you know, in the area that you're about to go into, then you have to be really good at identifying when your gut is telling you something. And I do feel like when you're younger, it's harder sometimes to know 
your gut versus I say you've got a little gut and a big gut and sometimes you get that overwhelming feeling. You get goosebumps, you get tingles and you just know and that's 100% the most important one to look out for because that's what I felt when I first spoke to Whitney and that's what I felt again when I first spoke to Laura and Steph. So it's about really leaning into your inner self because you honestly can get so much from it and use that to guide you into the scary decisions. Yeah. Hey, thank you so much for your time, Michelle. Really appreciate chatting with you today. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the Self Love Club podcast. Please subscribe for weekly episodes and catch up on the backlog of eps you may have missed. Until the next episode, make sure you're following the Self Love Club at Self Love Club Podcast on Instagram for daily content, IGTV clips of interviews, and you can find me at Belle Crawford. Plus, find resources and articles on my website, bellcrawford.com with a new recommendations page with my book club, all of the good shows to watch. And also you can actually listen to all of the podcast interviews ever on the Self Love Club on the podcast page. We've got heaps of incredible guests coming up with weekly episodes available each Monday. I'll catch you really soon. Ellie the most, Kate. Okay?